0: We're very familiar with these uh, these things coming from Hebron. We have many, many, many uh, a time. can you? Is it cutting out or is it fine? We're good? We're good. Okay. Well, it's good to be with, this, with, be with you this morning. Um, today we're going to be continuing your uh, series through the Gospel uh, According to Mark. Uh, it's one of the historical accounts uh, of Jesus' life uh, as he walked and talked uh, upon this earth. And the passage that we come to uh, this morning is found... In uh, chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through to 23. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, Jonathan Affleck took us uh, through the latter half of chapter 12, uh, where we looked at some of the final words of Jesus' public uh, ministry. Uh, uh, Jesus' public ministry as he taught in the temple. Uh, and this is sort of a few days really before his eventual crucifixion uh, on the cross. And uh, this, that only happened probably a few, few days later, and chapter 13 picks up just after the end of this, as Jesus is the tem- leaving the temple, uh, and he begins to speak to his disciples regarding the end times. Now, when dealing with uh, any passages in our Bibles that speak about the end times and prophecies thereof, inevitably there will arise much discussion and disagreement to the exact details and timings of all these events my mic cutting out? Yeah, I might use the goose deck one instead. This one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a broad range of views uh, amongst Christians, and even a broader range of texts and tomes on the topic. Um, and uh, though I would point out, however, that the Christians do all agree, at least in one uh, aspect, that Christ shall return, uh, and it shall be in judgment. Uh, When and how, we're not able to agree on that just yet, but we will one day. Um, And this morning, however, it is not my aim to present to you uh, a lecture uh, on eschatology from Mark chapter 13. Uh, Eschatology being the word for the study of end times. Uh, Rather, what I hope to to do uh, is to draw out and apply some principles that we can find in these verses. Um, Some uh, principles that should hopefully uh, encourage and challenge us, as it has done me in the preparation of this message. Um, we shall, of course, consider, when appropriate, uh, some specific eschatological uh, concepts that arise. Um, yeah, as I've said, the aim this morning uh, is to consider more how these verses might apply to us today. And they do, uh, for we all here are currently living in the end times. So with that disclaimer, uh, out of the way, let us turn to Mark chapter 13, uh, verses 1 and 23, where we should be looking at the first half Jesus' dialogue uh, to his disciples uh, about the end times. And he commands them, as he does to us, to be on your guard, or to take heed. Those are the words you can see in verse 6 and towards the end in verse 23. Um, And that is how I've titled this message this morning. It is to take heed and be on your guard. Uh, Now we shall consider this passage primarily in two sections. The first... Uh, verses 5 through to uh, 13. Uh, we'll look at some do nots that Jesus, Jesus gives regarding the end times, some things to guard against. Um, and then, secondly, and verses 14 to 20, 22, we'll look at a somber warning regarding some of the things that are still to come. So let's read our passage, uh, Mark chapter 13, 1 through to 23. Now, read this. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon the other that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign? when all these things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, this must take place. For the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. These are but the beginning And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child and children will rise against parents, and have them put to death, and you will, be hated by, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, that the one who is on the housetop not to go down, nor enter his house to take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, He shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So... That is our passage this morning, and uh, to begin I thought I'd just speak a little bit about the idea of spoilers. Now whenever a new movie or TV series comes out, there will always be those who are first to be out to see that new episode, or first to get to the cinema and watch the latest blockbuster. And now for the rest of us who aren't so um, quick on that, that it leaves a a, a problem, a a dreadful, looming uh, movie monster that is spoilers. Um, with the age of the internet, this has become even more of an issue, uh, and now anywhere you turn, you might accidentally stumble upon, uh, stumble upon one, like for example, uh, learning that in the movie, Titanic, the ship sinks at the end, you know, that came as a shock to me. Um, but you know, we do often go through great lengths not to know how our story will end, uh, because in knowing we might lose the suspense uh, or the surprise. Um, however, I think sometimes we do want to know the ending. I think this is especially true of it, true in books at least, uh, at least in my case. Uh, I might be in the minority, um, but often when I'm reading a story, I'll flip to the last page, just to get a glimpse of uh, what's to come, just to know that everything will be okay. You know, I, I, just, I just have to do that. I can't resist it. But, I mean, I don't like myself for doing it to be honest. Um, However, I think this reveals, at least for me and hopefully for the rest of you, a truth uh, about us achievements, that we do actually want to know how things are all going to pan out. We do want to know uh, how the end will look. Um, Is that not the case? I mean, How many people do you think, if they were given the opportunity to to peer into the future of their lives uh, and to see how things were going to pan out, uh, would they not take that? Or at least if to do so, they might then change what they're doing now so that that doesn't happen if it's a bad outcome, let's say. Um, we all want to know it's going to be alright in the end. Um, we all, I think, desire insider knowledge, knowledge of the future, for if not, why are we so worried? Why do we, uh, why do we spend time thinking and, and worrying and being anxious about the future? Is it not that we crave certainty? We crave to know. We don't like suspense. Um, you know, I, I think in a, in a theatre, The suspense is great for the story, the enjoyment, but in life, we rather tend to want less of it. Um, And today, what I want to suggest to you is that we can, in fact, have a look at that last page. For indeed, it's part of what we have just read in Mark chapter 13. Uh, It's a spoiler, if you like, of the things that are uh, to come. Uh, And as I said, you know, we are living in those end times, they are now, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, or don't hear me wrong I'm not saying that I know when Christ is coming back uh, but what I am saying is that we are living in that interim period between Christ's first coming and his second um, these are the last days these are the end times and so for this reason it, we would all do well, myself included to take heed you know, to pay attention to the spoiler not just to glance at this last page, but to study it Um, And so in doing we might be prepared and able to guard against those troubles that we face now and for some, the greater troubles that are to come. The passage here begins, uh, you'll see in verse 1, with Jesus exiting the temple in Jerusalem and what follows is a short interaction between uh, one of his disciples um, and and Jesus. And what does one of his disciples say? Well, he says this in verse 1. Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, I think you might be uh, able to excuse, uh, or find it easy to excuse the disciple for saying these words. Um, I I have no doubt that in the first century in Jerusalem, the temple would have been truly a marvelous thing to behold. Um, However, Jesus' response comes quite devastatingly to him. Uh, He says in verse 2, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here, one stone upon the other, that will not be thrown down. Now, if I was the one saying these words and got that response, I don't think I would say much after that. I think I'd be keeping my mouth shut for quite a while. Um, I would probably consider myself quite the fool. Um, but I think we are kind of like that. You know, it's this contrast between um, one on one hand whose perspective and perception of the world is uh, focused sometimes on the achievements and grandeur of us as humans, our human accomplishment the things we build, the things we make you know, that's where this man's gaze I think falls but Christ sees things differently he has the great span of time that is drawn out before him and he can see it stretching off into eternity he knows where all these buildings uh, where this temple shall ultimately lie in rubble Um, you know, let us not beat around the bush Uh, this world and everything in it is fading away Uh, this is what is being talked about. Uh, See the greatness of Marshall College or Buckingham Palace uh, or Mount Everest or even this nice new stage when it's finished. You know, it's all passing away. Mark 13 and 31, later on in the passage you'll look at next week, it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Or elsewhere in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, it says uh, in chapter 3, all go to one place all are from the dust, and to dust all return. And this is the direction. And I feel like we know that. Moreover, um, in you know, saying these words, Jesus is looking towards a future day when indeed the temple itself, physically, shall be completely and utterly destroyed. Not one brick shall lay upon another, he says. Um, these words are pointing towards a day of great calamity, uh, a woeful and dark day a day yet to be fulfilled yet and all that we build for ourselves here on this earth shall not last let's not be fooled Uh, we must have a greater perspective an internal perspective and so in some ways here is our first and overarching principle to take heed of to pay attention to to consider as we look at the rest of the passage for it's it's this interaction uh, in verses one to two that sparks the rest of it that that sparks the question asked by his disciples in verse 4, and then Jesus' consequent, uh, consequential answer. Um, and so, let's look at that. Let's look at the question. Now, you know, we're, we've, we've left the temple, we're on the Mount of Walls, and, and, and in verse 4, uh, Andrew, or Peter, James, John, Andrew, ask him this question. And they ask in verse 4, So tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? You know, so we've left the temple, we're on the Mount of Olives, and uh, verse 3 you see that, when we're looking over Jerusalem. The temple is immediately before us. You know, if you go today, you can stand on the Mount of Olives and you can see Jerusalem and the temple, the Kidron Valley between the two. Um, and this is where the disciples and Jesus are standing as they say these things, as Jesus talks about the end times. Um, you know, it's very fitting as well that he's standing on this very mountain. Um, and he speaks these words regarding the end, the end the end of the age, um, for this mountain is the same mountain, the same mountain of olives upon which Jesus ascended later on in, in Mark and the Gospels, and also the same mountain upon which we are told in the Old Testament in Zechariah that he shall return upon, upon, on this earth. Um, this is a place of significance, uh, and here we are, considering the end of the age, uh, the end of all things. Um, and so the scene is set. We're on the Mount of Olives, we're looking over the temple, over Jerusalem. And so then let us take heed and be on our guard as we consider the answer uh, to <coughs> the disciples' questions. You know, what, when will these things be? What will be the signs? And how might we be guarded? for To be forewarned to be forearmed. So then let's look at our first uh, section, verses uh, 5 down to verse uh, 13. And we'll look at the kind of the three do nots. Uh, or the three don'ts that Jesus gives, the three guards that we can have uh, in these uh, end times. The first one comes in uh, chapter, uh, verse 5 and 6, and it reads this, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one uh, leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray, and they, and they will lead many astray. So that's our first uh, don't, so to speak, our first guard. It's don't be led astray. Um, a quick google search of people who have claimed to be jesus uh, results at the top it results of a uh, wikipedia page uh, which provides a list of everyone at least known to wikipedia that has claimed to be uh, christ or claimed to be jesus or in some form uh, of, of that um, some you know some are really absurd some are really quite humorous in some times to read um, at least on the first instance for example There was one such person in 1872, by the man of Arnold Potter, who claimed to be the spirit of Jesus, or the spirit of Jesus entered into his body, and it was now time for his ascension in heaven. Uh, And so, what did he do? Well, he took a donkey, and began to ride straight for a cliff. Uh, And and the student of you might see where this is going. Uh, he, He carried on heading for that cliff, and upon reaching it, jumped off over the cliff, And unfortunately, instead of descending, he began to descend rather rapidly to his death. You know, I think we can safely say this man was not Jesus. And it it might be, I mean, humorous now, it's so long ago, but the story, it it saddens to read further, and and especially the rest of the the Wikipedia page. Because you'll read things like, um, was a leader of this movement, or was uh, the head of this group of people you think about how many people actually followed these people who went along, who, who died not knowing the truth, who, who died thinking that this was Jesus who, who were led astray I think many have been and many still will be led astray by these characters um, you know we might think, well how can this be and maybe so but I think it's still something we need to pay attention to, and, and never to think that we are too proud ourselves not to be uh, led astray, maybe not in such a grand way as that, but to be led astray in other ways, and to be led astray by people uh, who are claiming to have the authority of Christ uh, as well. Um, you know, Jesus has revealed to us his character through the scriptures, through this, this word, um, and we can read in several places of how he is to return, this being part of it, um, We therefore can know with certainty how he's going to return and also to know what he's like to to be able to spot him when he does come. And I think it will be easy to do so. Um, You know, in in this respect, we can know the last page. We don't need to guess, you know, we don't need to... I remember at school, actually, we'd often, when... We'd read a story and it would end before the ending and we were to write our own ending to make up what we thought might happen. We don't need to do that. We have it before us. We don't need to guess what Jesus will be like when he comes again. We've been told, and we have this in our Bibles, if only we read and pay attention. Um, You know, always the antidote to lies and misinformation uh, is the pure and unadulterated truth, which I say to you is found in these pages, the word of God, the words of the true Jesus Christ. So therefore, our first don't, our first guard is don't be led astray, don't be too proud to think it won't happen to you, and uh, for man and the devil are crafty, uh, and if you let them, they will to try try and take you away from the word of truth. See to it that does not see to it that you are not led astray. Um, okay, and that comes then to our second uh, do not, our second guard, uh, which can be found in the next two verses, seven to eight, uh, and they read as follows: And when you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. These are about the beginning of the birth pains. So there we go, do not be alarmed, That's verse, you see that in verse 7. Um, and there's two broad categories about which we're not to be alarmed uh, about. Um, namely, human disasters, you see that, wars, human nation will rise against nation. And then secondly, uh, natural disasters, famines, earthquakes. You know, I don't think I should really need to labor the point much, but you, you needn't look very far today to see that there is both human and natural disasters at frequent. Uh, you know, We have war, we have famine, we have earthquakes.: Yes, there may, in a sense, these words speak of a greater, uh, a greater time of, of tribulation, but still today, these, these principles we can apply to ourselves as we do live through a time that is really has many wars and many famines and many problems. Uh, but the, the point is to not be alarmed. Um, you know, we think, how many people are gripped with fear and anxiety about hearing these things? Maybe we are ourselves. You know, a large part of our modern culture today is influenced and directed by what is termed the climate crisis. You know, we're told it's a crisis. Um, you know, that, that word carries with it, alarm. You know, we've got to, you know it should, it's a bit, should in a way, to cause us to fear what might come. You know, and two, there's always this looming threat of nuclear war. I mean, in the time before I was around, that was a, a, a large part of, of the geopolitics, you know, the Cold War. You know, Amer- America and Russia at each other's throats with thousands upon thousands of nuclear bombs that could completely annihilate all of humanity and everything, everything on this earth. And today we're faced sometimes with a similar problem. You know, the nuclear weapons haven't gone away, uh, neither have the tyrants. You know, these uh, events uh, are terrible, yes, they are saddening, yes, but they, should they alarm us, should they cause us panic? Well, no, they shouldn't. Well, Verse 7 says this, This must take place, but it is not the end. You know, the world shall not end because of the climate, nor shall it end because of a nuclear war. Uh, that's, I think the Bible makes that clear. The world will end according to God's plan. Just as the world was created, according to His plan, it shall end according to His plan. As much as the disasters do grieve us, and as much as we seek to comfort those who are going through times of trouble and hurt, we cannot ourselves give in to this alarmism, the alarm that that is so present throughout our news and society as a whole. We must have the perspective of Christ to look across the great span of time and and see uh, what has been revealed to us in the Bible and to take heed. Um. Do not be alarmed, for these things must take place. It says in verse 8, These uh, are only but the beginnings of birth things. Uh, see, our God is sovereign, and he has given us fair warning. Uh, he's still in control, though it might not seem like that fully yet. Um, God's plan, Christ's return, has not, and will not, be upset by the events of this world and its affairs. You know, what you meant for evil... God meant for good, it says somewhere else in the Bible, and we're told, uh, and we're told that uh, God is not surprised, uh, and so neither should we be. Uh, do not be alarmed. Uh, the next, or uh, uh, in our final, do not or guard comes in uh, verses nine through to thirteen, and I uh, will read it quickly. It says, "But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils." And you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you, uh, deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but whatever is given to you in that hour. I might say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Your brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all, for my name's sake. But the one who endures the end will be saved. So, then, do not be anxious, it says. um, Or rather, you could say, do not be afraid there in verse 11. Um, See, the Christian, this I think applies specifically now to the Christian, if not, well, I guess all have this more than the rest. Uh, The Christian can have this guard, uh, this assurance throughout the end times, throughout these troubling days, that God is with them. You see that the Holy Spirit will give them the words to, to say, to speak. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is indeed with us in all times and in all matters. Uh, I think in this instance, when we're delivered uh, or when people uh, are persecuted, uh, and they are around the world, um, words are given to them to speak. Uh, I think of, I mean, in this part of, our, uh, of the world and in, in this country for the last few hundred years, we haven't really had that persecution. Uh, but there was a time before that that, that, that was the case. You think of, um, I think it's William Tyndale, who has been burnt at the stake. You know, he's been persecuted for his faith. And his final words are, Lord, open the eyes of England. And those words must have been heard because they're written down. And they seemingly came true for not so long after that. You know, you have King James King James Version, the Bible in the English language. Um, you know, God shall give us the words uh, to speak. The Holy Spirit is with them. God is with them. God is with Christians. God is with us. Um, You know, we read in Matthew 28 and verse 20, it says, And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. You know, death, even death, is no cause for anxiety and fear for the Christian. Elsewhere, even Paul the Apostle, says in the book of Philippians, To live is Christ and to die is gain. Here on earth, we have the privilege of proclaiming a gospel that calls sinners to repentance and brings life to dead and empty souls. Again, it should be no surprise to us as Christians that the world that crucified our God should hate those who bear his name. That makes perfect sense, does it not? Uh, nonetheless, God is mine and I am his and to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is, the, that is the, the state of a Christian, at least I, in its best times. Um, The Christian, therefore, past, present, or future, uh, need not be fearful of anything. Not even ostracization from family or friends, not even death itself. Verse 13 says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now this is not an endurance that produces salvation, but it's an endurance that that evidences the salvation. The one who endures, endures only because Christ is with them because the Holy Spirit is in them. Uh, And so because that is true, uh, they shall be saved. Like Christ, both in his death and resurrection, they shall be like him. And so, in some sense, these are three guards that we can have, our three uh, things to uh, look out for. To not be led astray, uh, don't be alarmed, and don't be anxious or afraid. These things are offered, I think, primarily to the Christian. But, Uh, I think uh, if you're not expectant of the Lord's return, if if this is not a truth to you, if if Christ's first coming meant nothing and his second coming means even little, even less, um, then these words, I think, maybe don't have much assurance for you. Um, Astray, alarmed, and anxious you may well be, but unless you trust in God's plan for creation um, and and what is unfolding in Christ's ultimate return, The events and direction of this world, I think, should remain deeply troubling. Um, You know, we can have these guards, we can have these assurances, because we believe Christ is the true Son of God. Uh, If that's not true, then none of these things remain true for you. Um, You know, the Bible does speak of a coming tribulation, um, the likes of which has never been seen before, nor will ever again. And you know, this is what we're reading about down in verses 14 to 22. This is our last half, our second section. You know, it's a glimpse into a terrible reality that will befall all those who are found in those days. You know, it is, uh, my view, I think that Christians won't see that day. for um, they, as the Bible says, shall be caught up to be with the Lord uh, before these things come to pass. But of everyone else, the Bible is clear. And I must be, as well, Uh, in imparting uh, these words to you, this warning, uh, if you're not a Christian here today, it's it's not that I say the things to scare you, that's not my intention, and neither do I want to shock you into becoming a Christian. Definitely not. Um, For if you were standing upon a a railway line, and a train was hurtling towards you, uh, and you couldn't see it, and I could, a distance off, I would shout to you to get out of the way. Not because I want to make you scared of trains or to make you fearful of the train, but because for your safety and for your life, I don't want you to get hit. Um, It's not out of a desire to see you scared, it's out of a desire to see you saved. Um, So hopefully you keep that in mind as we talk through our last section. You know, tribulation and judgment are coming. That's the the train, so to speak. Um, And if you're not in Christ, you're standing right in the tracks. Um, I mean, Let's read verse 14 uh, to, to 22. It says this. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, that the one who is on the housetop not housetop not go down or enter his house to take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Uh, just to explain hopefully briefly and and in a very short way the abomination of desolation is a reference to uh, the book of Daniel uh, a concept found there and it speaks of a person or a thing that shall desecrate the temple in Jerusalem and bring about much destruction and dismay and calamity Um, you know in those days the tribulation shall unfold when this is seen this is well you're in it you know the tribulation is here in its fullness, um, it will be, as the Bible points out and paints clearly elsewhere and here, a time of dread and horror that I wish no man to endure, um, not least any of you here today. Uh, you know, I hesitate really to try and imagine the calamity that will befall folk then. Um, you know, Don't be deceived, take heed, be on your guard, these are the last days. You know, Jesus, in coming the first time, came in salvation. He came to seek and save the lost, to offer forgiveness and mercy for all the wrongdoing in our lives. All these things we know uh, we ought not to do and think. Um, Christ came to restore uh, the broken relationship with God and that we might live in harmony with Him and with each other. You know, this is yours if only you respond in faith, trusting that Christ indeed did die for you on that cross, that he did, did do all these things to make you right with God, uh, this offer still stands today, you know, in, in Luke 4, in Luke 4 I'll turn to in Luke 4 in chapter 16 to 20, 21, we read of uh, when Christ is in the, in the synagogue and he stands up and he says how uh, a prophecy Isaiah is fulfilled in, in their hearing, this is in Luke 4 chapter and verse 16, um, and it says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, the interesting thing about this is that he stops that prophecy halfway through the last line. Uh, If you manage to turn to Isaiah in chapter 61... Uh, verses one to two, you'll find that prophecy that he reads from. Um, let's see if I can find it myself. He says that the spirit of the Lord uh, God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives uh, and the opening of the prison, uh, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where he stops. Carrying on the same sentence and the day of vengeance of our God. You see, the, the first coming was in salvation. The next one won't be. The next one will be in judgment. You know, we are in that interim. For now, the, the offer of repentance, the offer of mercy and grace still remains. We, we still have chance, we still have time. But time is not forever. For our, in our sakes, you know, things come, things go, this world is passing away, the bricks on the temple will be torn down one day, um, you know, the, our lives too, from dust to dust, um, and so the, the, the cry and the call of Mark chapter 13 for all of us, uh, for Christians is to take heed and to be on your guard, and for the non-Christian to take heed, uh, to listen and to respond, and cry, respond to Christ, uh, to come before him and and call out for mercy. For it's only those in Christ who will be delivered from that tribulation and from the judgment that is to come. You know, do not be led astray. Do not be alarmed and do not be anxious and heed the warning. Um, verse 23 of, of, of Mark 13, finishing back there, uh, I think gives us a, a good thing to go away with. It um, says this, but be on your guard, I have told you all things beforehand. We have no excuse, we have been told, you know, you have heard, you have been told, but will you listen, will you take heed? That's the question I think we can think and ponder upon um, uh, as we uh, go out from here today. I think I'll pray and then I'll invite Andy back up to the Dear Lord, we thank you that you are indeed a merciful God, that you have come uh, to free us from slavery and bondage, from sin, that we might not face judgment. But Lord, we know that you are coming again, and you are coming again soon. We know not the hour, nor the day. It could very well be tomorrow. It could very well be soon. But Lord, we think of those who are not saved, who have not known you and are not found in you, the, the, the blood that does not cover them, And we pray for their sakes, that they might turn and find forgiveness in you. For you are a merciful and forgiving God, able to save and able to keep those uh, from sin and from judgment. And so, Lord God, we pray for all these things. We pray that we as Christians might take heed, that we might be on our guard, that we would not be led astray, nor would we be alarmed, neither would we be anxious. And that all of us would heed a warning, that we... Christians would recognise the urgency of the gospel and that those who are not would recognise the need for it. Um, So in all these things we pray to you and we uh, commit these things to you, uh, the God who is sovereign and uh, has uh, power over all in Christ's uh, holy and precious name. amen. Amen.